The Grazadio School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson. I'm the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who is the Dean of the Grazadio School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Well, good morning, Rick. It's good to be here. Well, it seems like we're about halfway through the Dean's Executive Leadership Series, and it's been a tremendous series so far. We had an excellent fall, and we're really looking forward to the speakers that we have lined up this spring. Well, tell us a little bit about your guest today, John Coyne. John is president and CEO of Western Digital, and they really help organizations to collect, manage, and store information. And so uh, with all that's going on in the area of technology, I think this will be a fascinating interview for everyone. Well, no doubt. Well, let me invite our listeners to sit back and enjoy this conversation with John Coyne, president and CEO of Western Digital. Well, today we're here with John Coyne, who is the CEO of Western Digital. He's been in that role since 2007, after being with the company for 26 years. So, John, it's such a pleasure to have you here for uh, this podcast of our Dean's Executive Leadership Series. Thank you, Linda. Pleasure to be here. So you've been with Western Digital for 26 years. That is a long time to be with one company, especially sort of in the world today where people move and transition so much. So talk a little bit about kind of your career progression and what it was that sort of motivated you to stay with the company that long and eventually move you into the CEO role. Well, I did actually take a little five-year break in the middle there. So it's uh, two stints. Uh, First in 1983 when I joined the company in Ireland. Mm -hmm. I'm a native of Ireland and grew up there and was educated there uh, and had worked in Ireland in a variety of positions with GE, Emerson, uh, and then along came WD, a small sub $100 million, scrappy, great ideas, aggressive company. And I liked the cut of their jib and said I'd give it a whirl after the 10 years of security of very large companies. And so we, we, I started up an operation for WD in, in Ireland, spent three years there, moved out to the U.S. in a promotional opportunity here at headquarters, and had a great time uh, through to the early 90s, mm-hmm. uh, at which point I had an opportunity to broaden my experience out of operations and engineering, which what, I, what were my strengths mm-hmm. in up to that point, uh, with a manufacturing services company in Europe where I had the opportunity to lead the whole European adventure and uh, be responsible for sales and business development and marketing as well as my proven strengths in operations and engineering. So I leapt at that and went and did that for approximately five years, Uh, at which point, having further expanded my portfolio but having significantly missed the WD culture uh, of involvement across the board uh, and uh, very aggressive and opportunistic view of market, Mm -hmm. Um, I decided to come back. Luckily, WD decided to have me back, and off I went to Asia for almost 10 years, heading up operations there. 
that was a you know a wonderful time in terms of understanding new cultures, um, having the opportunity to lead some very significant growth in the scale of the business, and then returning to uh, Lake Forest to our headquarters here in California in 2005, and I then becoming CEO in 2007. Um, you know, it's all been a blast, uh, but but certainly I'm not alone in the company in terms of uh, what we call retreads, but folks who've who've spent some time uh, immersed in the culture, uh, working in the exciting, scrappy business that we have, and and then seek pastures new, mm-hmm. realize that that grass that looked green is really more of a dirty brown color, and uh, come back. To, to the place where they've experienced a, a very strong, cohesive, collegiate type of environment that's uh, focused on consistently outperforming and uh, generating consistent, profitable growth. And it's, a, it's just a very satisfying environment, uh, the best company I've worked for at any point in my career. Um, and I think there's a lot of folks who um, have had the same experience. And, of course, when you get that level of embedded group satisfaction, you can do a lot of things that are very, very difficult in other environments. I want to talk a little bit more about the culture, but before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about succession planning at uh, Western Digital because your predecessor, Arif Shaquille, is one of our alums, and that's how we got connected with you and my sense is, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, that that there was a very uh, uh, kind of almost a planned transition once Arif knew that he wanted to step out of that role and really groomed you for that. So it was a very smooth transition. He remains on the board at Western Digital and I believe has been a, a, a close advisor and friend to you which is what is a wonderful model of succession planning at the CEO level. We've clearly seen in the media in recent years some much different models that don't work quite that smoothly. How, what is it about Western Digital that has made that happen? And I think it was a pretty smooth transition to Arif as well, who had been in the company for many years prior to becoming a CEO. How, how has that been developed and how has the board been involved in that to lead to that kind of longevity of people in senior roles and then that smooth transition at the CEO level? Well, it is interesting. In fact, the, the CEO before Arif, Matt Massengill, also was a longtime uh, WD person. In fact, the three of us joined the company in that period, 83 to, to 85, and had worked together mm-hmm. in various roles throughout. Uh, Matt and Arif both also left the company for brief mm-hmm. periods mm-hmm. during their careers right. and, and experienced you know, the outside world with a WD tilt and then came back. And so the transition from Matt to Arif and the transition then from Arif to me um, was, as you say, uh, planned, um, usually planned by the then CEO, not necessarily fully involved <laughs> in the, <laughs> the, the soon-to-be CEO. Um, but I think the real thing is that, that we're very uh, fortunate to have a very strong bench uh, a very open and participative culture, a mm-hmm. uh, very high level of transparency, very, very low level of politics that involves senior people 
throughout the broad executive team, so you, you would look at the very senior executives, uh, about 15 people, and then the next bench, about 40 people. And that, that total group, highly involved in the day-to-day -day operation of the business as well as the strategic operation of the business. So as the board looks at succession planning, there's a target-rich environment uh, within the company. And the, you know, that makes things, I think, um, while you have to counter the danger of becoming totally ingrown, right. uh, I believe the, the competitive nature of our industry and the global nature of our industry forces those within it to look very much outside uh, for threats and opportunities and challenges and, um, and best practice. And so I think uh, it's relatively easy for the board when looking at the depth of talent that we do have, and still have today, we haven't exhausted it by any means, um, in, in seeking uh, smooth uh, transitions mm -hmm. in, in succession. And I think the, then the disturbance to the business in terms of the fundamentals of the business model, the fundamentals of the process, um, that disturb disturbance is very slight in each transition mm -hmm. from, from one to the next. Not that each of us hasn't done, you know, put our own peculiar stamp yeah. on the business. We certainly have. Um, but it's been evolution rather than revolution, and I think that stands the business in very good stead. You mentioned several times in regard to the culture how collaborative it is, how transparent it is. And it was a fairly small company when you began and when Arif began and others that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And now it's around 50,000 employees worldwide. Yeah, today about 10 billion in sales, 55,000 mm -hmm. uh, employees worldwide. Biggest challenge for me as the CEO is how to maintain right. that uh, family mm -hmm. atmosphere, yeah. uh, that lack of boundaries between functions. Uh, between global locations uh, to remain fleet of foot because one of our critical competitive advantages is our speed and that's advantageous in, in two ways. Um, it's very financially advantageous to have high asset velocity but it also enables faster learning than a slower competitor because the cycles of learning are greater and therefore, the ability to adapt to new circumstances, to uh, not only analyze new data, but implement it, mm -hmm. improves. Mm -hmm. And so, highest area of focus for me is to maintain that fleetness of foot, mm -hmm. that agility uh, within the company. And we find the way to accomplish that is to have very high levels of transparency and very high levels of communication across the company about... Uh, strategic purpose as well as tactical responses that are being played on a day-to-day -day basis relative to emerging uh, competitive data, emerging market opportunity data. Shifting gears just a little bit, you had a, have had a very international career. Obviously, you started in Ireland. You've spent time here in the United States. You uh, consolidated the worldwide hard drive manufacturing for Western Digital into Malaysia. You expanded their drive operations into Thailand, so a lot of Asian experience as well. There's a, certainly a lot of our audience that's probably listening to this that either is doing international work or 
would like to do international work based on kind of that rich experience you've had through the years, what are the things you've learned about that that would help someone to be successful, uh, keys to sort of being successful uh, in the international arena, both as an individual and then to help make your company successful in that kind of a, a, a global world as you function in and as you have in your career? I think what I've learned over the years is that at their core, people of whatever nationality uh, are really the same. They, the, the core fundamental beliefs and, and the, the core stimuli that they respond to are very, very consistent uh, across the world. As a leader, the essential element of uh, is to gain trust, and gaining trust is about demonstrating sincerity and commitment. Mm-hmm. And you know, every society I've worked in has been equally adept at flushing out the fake. Right? So, uh, very important that that while it's necessary to understand and adapt to the cultural differences and the um, behavioral norms in each individual territory. You shouldn't think that that's all that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. You've got to focus on demonstrating to people, particularly as an expat who's by definition is moving on at some right. point, that while in place your focus is on liberating the best that they can do by giving the best that you can do in, the, in that mm-hmm. environment. And I think people are very quick to latch onto that and understand whether you're, uh, you know, whether you're in it for you and just passing through or whether you're actually in it for the broader purpose mm-hmm. and, and are um, there to enable them to be a bigger part of and a more successful part of the company. And I think if you approach those assignments with with that frame of mind, you'll be a lot more successful than if you're going in just thinking about the impact to you or just thinking about the, the trivial orientation that you may get about cultural habits in, the, in that area. It, just observing the right habits doesn't get the job done. Mm-hmm. So I believe Western Digital is celebrating its 40th anniversary as a company this spring in a, a couple of months or about a month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and and clearly the company has uh, stayed on top of its markets and has evolved as uh, technology has changed, as sort of the storage and drive needs of, of, of companies and individuals has changed. As you sort of think about the, the future, how do you continue to innovate and sort of be on top of what the needs are going to be because clearly technology is changing more rapidly than it did when the company was first founded. What, what is your approach to innovation and uh, kind of scanning the market, knowing what the next best thing is going to be so that you stay one of the, the best and largest uh, companies in the world doing what you do? Well, that's the $64 million-dollar question, question, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, what we, what we try to do uh, is to invest our money wisely in the best technology and the best technologists that we can can find. Uh, We have, I think, some benefit from the fact that we've been through three very significant and fundamental 
uh, makeovers of mm -hmm. the business over the 40 years, right. starting out as a semiconductor designer and manufacturer for the first decade, mm -hmm. uh, then evolving primarily into a subsystem designer and manufacturer, incorporating those semiconductors in subsystems over the next 10 years, and then moving and, and evolving into a hard drive company for the last 20 years. As we look at the uh, opportunities for hard drives into the future, we see a tremendous opportunity in terms of the growth of digital content creation in the world around us and digital content consumption. And as the most cost-effective solution for high-volume mass storage, um, hard drives don't appear to have any imminent uh, replacement threat. However, we have very significant technology challenges to overcome in order to stay on the 40% aerial density growth. Aerial density is the amount of storage per square inch of okay. media. And we've been driving that at a 40% rate for 50 years wow. in the industry, um, consistent with Moore's law that they mm -hmm. talk about mm -hmm. in the semiconductor environment. However, um, we are seeing the emergence of solid state storage in areas where smaller capacity storage is required, mm -hmm. very highly mobile applications, and also in, in areas where very high performance is required. And so um, in order to ensure that we had the necessary knowledge and capability to uh, understand those technologies and, uh, and address whatever opportunity or threat they might present, we've recently acquired a, a small solid-state drive company and are uh, busily building our portfolio in that technology in order to address what today is complementary to our hard drive business and offers a, a further opportunity to grow um, and insulates us somewhat from wherever the balance of the seesaw is in, in the competitive position of those two technologies. Right now, the seesaw is in balance and the pivot point is rising. So everybody's going up, and this is... A good place uh, to be. good place to be. We have a group of folks uh, in our corporate marketing and corporate technology development groups who are focused on scanning for emerging technologies, emerging markets, uh, new applications for the fundamental technologies that we have that may not become products that we know today, but that, that, that leverages our technology into new areas. So we're trying to spend an appropriate amount of money in, in trolling for future opportunity uh, to continue the significant growth that we've had. In the last 10 years, the company has uh, moved with the times and stayed on top of technology. And in fact, we've improved our technology position over the course of the last 10 years significantly. Um, to the point where we're, we're now a market leader in introducing new uh, hard drive capacities. And that has driven a 22% compound annual growth rate over the course of the last 10 years. Um, we would, you know, we're certainly trying to right. recognize opportunity to maintain that kind of progress. So you talked about the, the recent acquisition of the, the company and then kind of trolling for uh, innovations that are mm -hmm. out there. How much of kind of the innovation is driven by that, you know, seeing what's out there and bringing it into the fold versus your own basic R&D within the company? And, and how have you 
determined what that balance is through the years in the company? Yeah, I think internal innovation from a technology development perspective represents probably 80% plus of what turns up as product over time. And then somewhat less than 20% is acquired, either acquired businesses or acquired technology uh, that we then integrate into the core. Um, that would be probably about the balance of spending. And we do spend on R&D within the business. Um, we're spending now about $600 million a year on, on R&D. Mm -hmm. And of that, probably north of, somewhere in the region of $200 million would be in, you know, very innovative new technology development, fundamental technology development, and the balance would be in product development that's looking more at a two to three year horizon, whereas the fundamental technology uh, work that we're doing would be in the two to five year uh, kind of time horizon. Some of what I read about the company talked about kind of uh, what you're looking at in terms of kind of sustainability and environmental impact and some of that. How does that play into the innovation that you're looking at and how you make your products more kind of environmentally friendly, make the company uh, more sort of socially conscious through the experience? I mean, how does that play into your strategy and into what you think about both in terms of uh, the bigger picture of the company, but even in terms of the products that you're developing and looking at for the future? Well, I think um, certainly there's a, a lot more than I can cover in this sure. brief interview, which you can access at westerndigital.com <laughs> uh, about WD and look under global citizenship, right. and you will find a significant uh, Great. outline of mm -hmm. our approach. The most fundamental benefit we believe that... Um, our existence brings mm -hmm. to the world mm -hmm. uh, is the fact that we provide an enabling technology for a lot of the uh, modern commercial and education and entertainment uh, methodologies that we employ around the world today. In doing that, we directly employ some 55,000 people. Analysis that we've done indicates that in our extended supply chain of services and components, uh, that represents about a quarter of a million uh, people mm -hmm. uh, altogether. And that doesn't count the people involved in taking our products and integrating them into useful devices. Um, now, that quarter of a million people, uh, it, particularly as you look at the uh, way that families operate in Asia, you know, that probably scales into about a million people whose lives we significantly influence in terms of economic uh, development. Uh, and improvement over time. And so we think that's our greatest contribution. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, of course, maintaining an ability to grow the company profitably and continue that mm -hmm. contribution is, is critical to the work I do and the work that my executive team does. One of the things that I'm uh, quite pleased about is one of my first uh, marketing decisions as a, as a new CEO was to endorse a line of product which employed a new technology we had developed, the WD Green Power technology, mm -hmm. which uh, launched a range of drives for desktop, uh, digital video recorder, uh, cloud computing applications uh, that used about 40% of the then existing right. uh, power of the drives that were then being addressed to those markets. And that has grown, and uh, that business, the, our green power 
product lines represent over a quarter of our total business today. So in three years, that's a a very significant um, driver of our business success, but also a a significant change in the world because all of our competitors then followed with similar product lines. Um, And so it has created a significantly more efficient um, solution to some of the mass storage applications around the world. The other thing that we focus on, again, we tend to be driven by uh, benefit to the business rather than altruism, mm-hmm. but our facilities in Thailand. Thailand hosts approximately 60% of the world production of hard drives. A Thai government analysis uh, two years ago credited WD with the most energy efficient facilities uh, in the hard drive business wow. in Thailand. So we designed those factories to be very lean manufacturing, very energy efficient, because it makes money for us. It saves money, and that goes to the bottom line. It allows us to be competitive. It allows us to grow our business. So, you know, being responsible and being profitable are not in conflict. No. And it's good to see companies doing both and being successful at it. Now, we also... uh, not only in the direct employment and the, the direct money that that generates for our employee families, we also participate uh, deliberately in the uh, societies in which we operate. So uh, here in the U.S., in the localities that, right. that where we are, uh, and globally where we manufacture, where we have significant sales presence, um, we have a number of charitable foundations that... Uh, focus primarily on education and the support of education in those regions uh, in order to uh, you know, teach people to fish rather than mm-hmm. handing out free fish. So that's our, our general approach. We do also you know, su- obviously support disasters as they occur and attempt to, to help in those circumstances. But the primary focus is on educational uh, development in the areas where we operate. I have lots of other questions we could talk about, but I want to kind of conclude our discussion today uh, with a question that ties back to our mission in the business school. Our, the core phrases in our uh, mission in, in the Grazia School are to develop value-centered leaders and advance responsible business practice. And we've talked a lot about advancing responsible business practice and how you do that. But from your perspective as a leader and as a CEO of Western Digital, if you had to articulate two or three values that are uh, kind of at the core of who you are as a leader, what would those be and why are they so important to you? Well, we've actually got six. Okay. So in my first days as CEO, I, I, I tried to distill the cultural values that have made WD successful, and we came out with the acronym PAPI, mm-hmm. which is P-A-P-P-I-I. Okay. Passion, action, productivity, perseverance, innovation, and integrity. And built around those values is our success. Mm -hmm. And so we continually reinforce the behaviors and the values that are represented by that acronym. Um, And I could heartily recommend them to any other business leader. Well, I think all of those are certainly good ones for a business leader to focus on, whether it's for their own personal leadership style or for the organization. So, And I love the acronym. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way to help people remember them. Well, we appreciate so much you being with us, John, and certainly know that our audience that listens to this will gain a lot of insights from what you had to say. So we appreciate you joining us today. 
Thank you. My pleasure. Well, Linda, I certainly enjoyed that uh, interview with John. Well, he was really fascinating, particularly as he talked about the international and global reach of right. Western Digital and all that they're doing and the challenges that that presents for them as well. So yeah. a, a really fascinating interview. Very much so. Well, uh, tell us who is uh, lined up next to be a part of the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. We have with us on March 11th, Leslie Margolin, the President and General Manager of Anthem Blue Cross in California, and we'll be hosting that in Malibu on the Pepperdine campus. Uh, let me ask you, for those of our listeners who uh, might be interested in attending, is this event open uh, to the public? Certainly. We invite anyone who would like to join us for any of our speaker series uh, to go online to bschool.pepperdine.edu slash DELS, D-E-L-S, and they can register online to attend any one of these upcoming events. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, well, let me also invite our listeners to uh, join us uh, on iTunes U or YouTube to listen to these podcasts or to watch videos of uh, these conferences. And until next time, thanks for listening. In a tough economy, investing in yourself is one of the best investments you can make. And an education is something that can never be repossessed, foreclosed upon, or lose its value. That's why now is the perfect time to earn your master's in business from Pepperdine University. Because Pepperdine's exceptional MBA programs are built around real-world curriculum, not just theory. So you'll gain knowledge that can be applied immediately on the job increasing your value in the workplace. During the past century, our country has survived over a dozen recessions. The economy will eventually turn around, and when it does, you'll be ahead with a degree from Pepperdine. You'll also have access to Pepperdine's extensive alumni network, career development opportunities, and employment resources. Visit bschool.pepperdine.edu today. Pepperdine University's prestigious Grazio Dio School of Business and Management.